going to talk about being uh, happily married. In fact, I initially called this uh, sermon uh, Servant Marriage, but then as I thought about it, I realized that, you know what, no one's going to download it. Um, <laughs> and this is true, because the most popular series we've ever done in this church was our Song of Solomon series we did, I think it was a year or so ago, but every message got all these downloads except for the one that I titled Servant Lover. All the other ones had, I mean, thousand percent more downloads, but, uh, you know, every night a wedding night, that's exciting, but being a servant lover, not so exciting. Uh, there's just something about the word servant that kind of repels us a little bit. In fact, I, I remember uh, years ago, I was listening, listening to an author, I, th I think it was Bill Hybels, if I remember, but he... Uh, he wrote a book, and on his title, he had the word servant, like becoming a servant or something like that. I don't remember, but it went out, and it didn't sell. So they called it back, and they changed the title, and then it sold lots. I mean, there's this thing in us that we just, like, servant, uh, I'm not too big on this, this, this servant idea. But the thing is, what we all want is to be happily married. I mean, that is something that every married couple wants deeply. I just want to be happily married. But the interesting thing is, to get there requires servanthood. The very thing a lot of us do not want to hear. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And to start it off, I want to show you a quick testimony video clip of uh, a friend of mine named Neil Josephson. He is a covenant pastor along with his wife, Cheryl. But right now, they are the presidents of Family Life Canada. They have a, a big marriage ministry all across Canada. And uh, here's a quick testimony. Cheryl and I got married on August 12, 1978. Man, that seems like a long time ago. Uh, we stood in front of all our friends and family, and we made promises to each other. We made promises about the way we were going to treat each other, the way we were going to try to love each other. And we really meant those promises, you know, with all our hearts. But there was no way we knew what we were getting into. Right? I mean, there's no way I knew how great marriage was going to be at times, and there's no way I knew how hard it was going to be sometimes. I suppose we had the same kind of issues a lot of couples have, uh, maybe more, maybe less, I, I don't know. But uh, we've had some moments, and it's not just circumstances, right? I mean, we had personality challenges, we had gender differences. We've had a lot of stuff over the years, but here's what I've concluded. The biggest issue in our marriage wasn't all those things but my selfishness. You know, I think something happened in, in the wedding ceremony because when we were dating and when we were engaged, I was a really nice guy, you know? But when we started living together 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, more and more of this other side of me came out. And I just had to face the fact that it wasn't about Cheryl. Because I tried that for a while. You know, like if she was m more like this, then I'd be better. And if she didn't do that, I wouldn't do this. But after a while, I had to really just look in the mirror and go, no, it's about me. It's my selfishness is really what I had to come to grips with. And here's what I concluded. I could continue to really be selfish, or I could be happily married, but I couldn't do both. And so I really, really, I really wanted to be happily married. I suppose everybody does, right? And so I knew I had to change. Now, for me, that's the God piece of my story because that's what's made the difference. Over 33 years, Cheryl and I have gone to a lot of different conferences, we've gone to seminars, we've read books, we've learned a lot of good stuff and it's all really good and, and I'm grateful for it and it's helped us. But all of that added up hasn't made the difference that putting God in the middle of our marriage has made. 
See, because God has a capacity not just to teach me new things, but to actually change me. And God has been changing me. It's because the way it works for me is I, I get up in the morning and I don't just try to live in right relationship with Cheryl, but I also try to live in right relationship with God. And that gives me the power to be a better man than I ever was before. So God's changing me, right? Making me more forgiving, kinder, more patient, more compassionate. And it's kind of a slow go sometimes, and I still struggle with selfishness every day of my life, really. But God's changing me, and, and God's changing Cheryl, too. And so when Cheryl and I get closer together, and then we get closer to God, that's what our marriage is about these days. And that's what's been great for 33 years, and that's why I'm really looking forward to 33 more with Cheryl and me and God in the middle. Yeah, as he was saying, uh, selfishness, selfishness really is a, an issue that all of us face. I don't think any of us can say that, you know, I'm not selfish. We all are in various ways. Some of us are maybe more so than others. But uh, the journey we need to be on is towards uh, servanthood. Uh, in many ways, uh, selfishness is a cancer in a marriage. It'll eat away at a marriage. It will begin to rot a marriage. It'll create a lot of issues in your marriage. In fact, probably... If you think back to some of your most painful moments in your marriage, if you dig down deep enough, you will find that there is selfishness there at the core. I mean, I can think back to some of the more painful moments in, in Marie and I's relationship, and if you dig down enough, you, you'll find selfishness there. I remember uh, early on in our relationship, I was in love with another thing. It wasn't another woman. It was my bike. And uh, I mean, I, I was a mountain bike racer, and I, I worked full time, but I also trained like 15 to 20 hours a week, and uh, and my life was so wrapped up around my bike that that it really did hurt Marie uh, a lot. And at the core of that painful period was was my own selfishness. And if you think back to to your painful moments in your marriage, you'll find there that there's this this selfishness, and it really does rob our marriages of of happiness and so our challenge is towards being more of a servant and and the way we need to do that is is we need to think of our marriages as as christian marriages not what our society lives out marriage is more of a consumeristic marriage uh, and 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 because our society lives like this consumeristic marriage mentality it's very easy for us to fall into the same trap i mean it's like when you go into a store with your money, uh, at least I do, I expect to get the best deal for my money, right? Uh, when I find the best deal, that's when I put out my money. And a lot of people are like that with marriage. I'm not going to put out my money, my servanthood. I'm not going to give until I get the best deal back. So when I get back what I want, then maybe I'll put something into it. Or we go to a restaurant, and uh, we want great food and great service. And if the food isn't great and the service isn't great, then, well, I'm going to a different restaurant. And a lot of our marriages are like that. You know, I'm not really liking the, what I'm getting back from my wife. I'm not really liking her service, her, her this waitress or waiter or whatever is not quite, you know, doing what I want. I'm going to go to a different restaurant. That, that's a consumeristic marriage, and that is not to be found in us. Uh, we are followers of Jesus, Christians, and that means that we are to have Jesus-like marriages. Uh, Jesus said, I have come not to serve, but, uh, or not to be served, but to serve. 
And that is sort of the mentality of what our marriages need to be. Uh, Paul put it this way. He said, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not uh, each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And, and we, we find that first part easy, looking to our own interests, because we're always thinking about ourselves. Thinking about me, myself, and I, what I need, what I want, what I desire. We're always thinking about ourselves. But Paul says, try to challenge yourself to think about your spouse as much as at least you think about yourself. And that's difficult. And when your selfishness comes in conflict with your wife's or your husband's selfishness, I mean, who wins out? Well, the text says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, and so in our marriages, we are to serve and to actually consider our spouse as more significant than us, to think of their desires and their wants and their interests and their needs is actually more significant than ourselves. And, 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 you know, deep down, we don't want that because, you know, we don't like this idea of servanthood. Or uh, Paul put it this way in Ephesians. He says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own body but feeds it and takes care of it just as Christ also does the church. And this is the idea of oneness. I mean, uh, Jesus said, what God has brought together, let mine not separate. It's the idea of the two become one. And therefore, Paul can say, husbands, you ought to love your wives as if they are your own body because you're actually one. And there's no problem with turning this around and saying, wives, you ought to love your husbands as your own body. Because, again, you are one. And, and, and the idea is you need to start living and acting as one. That when I actually serve Marie, I'm actually blessing myself. Or when she serves me, that she's actually blessing herself to not see you as separate, but, but together. Uh, Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, quoting him, it says, he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Or Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the, the upside down kingdom that we're in. That a lot of times we think that our selfishness is actually going to make us more happy. And we really believe that. If I get my time and my desires and my interests, this will actually make me more happy. But the kingdom principle is it won't. It is more blessed to give than receive. When you build up your wife or your husband, you are actually blessing yourself. And the word blessed basically means, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy you are when you serve your spouse. If you want true life in your marriage, if you want true happiness, it comes through learning to lose your life. And that's when you find your life. And that's when you begin to enter into, uh, like, a happy marriage. And, uh, and, and Marie and I have a great marriage. I mean, uh, I could honestly say that I really wish that all of you had a marriage like ours. Uh, I think we're very blessed. And I think one of the reasons is, is that we've really learned to serve each other. And that's more blessed to give than receive. Uh, Tim Keller um, puts... Um, marriage issues sometimes like the bridge like a bridge he talks about this and and this is important to understand if you're single here 
because you need to be, even if you're single now, working towards marriage, realizing that if you're going to get married one day, that you should probably start working on your selfishness now. And he talks about the idea of a bridge. If you picture like an old wooden bridge, and, and you can imagine maybe underneath that some of the, 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 the beams are cracked and some of it's rusty and it's not very strong, though it looks like it's standing. It looks like it's fine. And that sometimes we can look at ourselves and say, I, I'm fine. I'm ready for marriage. I, I'm great. I'd make a perfect spouse. But then he says, what happens when you take a truck and you drive it across a bridge that is failing underneath? He says it's going to collapse. Now, the collapsing bridge was not so much the truck's fault. It was the fact that the bridge was weak. And getting married is like driving a truck onto your bridge. It's like shining a light uh, into your life unlike anything else. In other words, all the flaws that you have as a single person, are, are, uh, they're brightened up <laughs> in a negative way, if you will, when you get married. They're revealed when you get married. I mean, if you're selfish now as a single person and you get married it's going to be a real issue. I mean, if it's all about me, myself, and I, now as you're single, when you drive the truck of marriage on, the, those flaws will be revealed in a, in a more way. And so you really need to get, start getting prepared long before you actually get married, okay? And so one of the questions we want to talk about is uh, kind of get practical here, and that is, is, are you a selfish spouse? Are you a selfish spouse? Because here's what happens. If you are a very selfish spouse, and selfish spouses make horrible spouses, by the way, but often uh, selfish spouses end up getting what they really want. A selfish spouse, in the end, will get what they want, and a lot of time that is themselves. That a lot of times people who are very selfish, in the end, will find themselves very alone. They think... That if I'm selfish, I'm going to get what I really want, but in the end, they will get what they want themselves, but in the end, they'll get the very thing they don't want, and they will find themselves very alone because they've been divorced or because their marriage is like they're just living as roommates, kind of separate together. So these things are good questions for us if we want to be happily married to think about. And the first question is this. Are you usually excited to do something you enjoy, but if it's something your spouse wants to do that you're not very excited about, do you get bored or restless easy and try to get out of it? Okay, so if you're like, my wife's going to watch hockey with me. This is awesome, and you're so excited. But, but later she says, hey, do you want to uh, go shopping with me? You're like, you know, uh, I know. that is selfishness. Okay, or if you're like, yeah, my wife wants to have sex with me tonight. This is awesome, right? But later she says, hey, uh, do you want to help me make dinner? No, I don't know. That, that, that's selfishness, right? If you get really excited when your wife wants to join you, but you don't get very excited when you want to join with her or however that works, that's selfishness. That means you've got to love your spouse enough to care about the things she cares about. Okay? Um, second question. So every time there's a discussion about something to do or some place to go, do you usually end up getting what you desire? Okay, so where are we going to go eat? It's always you get to decide. What are we going to watch on TV? It's always what you get. You just make sure somehow that you win out. And this could be because you're more overbearing than the other person. It could be that your spouse is farther down the road in servanthood than you. It could by, be that the, your spouse is just kind of shy and doesn't want to express themselves. But, but, I mean, if you're always getting your way, 
that's selfishness. I mean, if you're more of an overbearing person and they're less, I mean, you've got to love them enough to say, you know, I care about what, what do you really want this time? True love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, does not insist in its own way. In marriage, if you constantly are assisting on your own way, you're constantly making sure things are done your way, that is selfishness. And that does not lead to a happy marriage. Third question. Uh, that you believe what you do in life is more meaningful and important. Okay. I work full time. It's much more important than what you do. Right. Or I make this much money per month, you only make this much money, whatever I do should trump what you do because I'm more important. Or, you know, I'm the husband, so I'm more important than you, wife, or vice versa. That's selfishness. God has made you both image bearers and uh, you need to value each other. Uh, number four, uh, you constantly find yourself trying to sneak in a better deal for yourself in everything you do with your spouse. So you're always trying to get the best piece of chicken, right? <laughs> you're always trying to get the biggest piece of pizza. You're always like uh, trying to get the best seat in a restaurant. It's your deal to divide out the cheesecake. You make sure you get the biggest one, right? I mean, whatever you're doing, the finances, whatever, you always somehow just need to get a little bit better of a deal because you're really kind of thinking about yourself a lot. That, that again, is, is selfishness. Uh, number five, five uh, you constantly find yourself thinking about your own needs and desires and rarely think seriously about what your spouse desires or wants. And so you're just constantly thinking, no, I want this in my marriage, and I want to do this, and I want to go there, and wouldn't this be great at this? And you just rarely stop to think and say, what does my spouse want? Uh, what does my spouse actually desire? W what are their needs? Uh, what are their plans for the future? I mean, if you're always thinking about your own needs, that is selfishness. Or how about this last one here? If you find yourself constantly thinking, how can I get my spouse to, and you're going to fill in the blank, how can I get my spouse to help me more with the chores? How can I get my spouse to, you know, come with me more when I go out? How can I get my spouse to have more sex? How can I get my spouse to be nicer to me? And you're always just, how can I, it, it just seems to, just, this is your, your goal. You're always thinking about how can I get my spouse to do more for me? That's it's very selfish thinking. Did you know that your spouse is not your slave? Your spouse is not your slave. In fact, you, as a Christian marriage, are called to serve your spouse. And so, for if anything, we as Christians in Christian marriages should actually be turning that around far more often. How can I serve my wife better? How can I serve my husband better? How can I help them out more in, in life? Because Jesus has called us as spouses to serve one another. Now, where does the motivation for this come? Because, I mean, we can say, yeah, that's great, you know, but that's hard. I mean, there needs to be some sort of motivation for this because this does not come naturally, okay? I mean, we don't want to think about being a better servant. We might think about, about do we actually want to do it? Maybe not, but so there's got to be some motivation. And the Bible says the motivation is Jesus. The motivation is Jesus. And if we go back to Ephesians, what he says, 
For no one has ever hated his own body, but feeds it and takes care of it, just as Christ also does the church. That the picture the Bible always gives of marriage is his love for his people, Jesus' love for his church. And this is why we can um, often, uh, we see a lot of similarities between marriage and Jesus' relationship for his church. For instance, I can use a lot of the same language directed at, that I direct at my wife that I can direct at Jesus. For instance, uh, one of the phrases we use in my marriage, uh, our marriage is, you're my dream come true. And Marie really is my dream come true. But I, I can also step back and say, you know what, Jesus, you're my dream come true. I can look at my wife and say, I love you more than anything else in this world. And that is so true. But I also can look at Jesus and say, I love you more than anything else in this world. And I can look at my wife and say, I will die for you. I can look at Jesus and say, I will die for you. I mean, because marriage is a picture of Jesus' relationship to his people. And so that picture of Jesus loving his church, loving you, is your example, our example of what our marriages should be and could be and what should motivate us towards servant marriage. And we see the example here in Philippians 2. And here's our verse again, right? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of your spouse, right? And then he says, here's your motivation. Here is your example. This is what should push you towards this. Have this in mind among yourselves or in your marriage, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That Jesus, who's the most powerful being in this universe, humbled himself and came to service even to the point of death. And because of that, he was exalted. And it goes on to say, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And whenever you follow this example in your marriage, you are going to find that God is going to bless your marriage and exalt your marriage. The more Christ-like, the more of a servant you can be in your marriage, the more favor you will find in the marriage, the more blessing, the more exalted you will see. I mean, the more happily married you will be. And this comes through servanthood. You may say, well, I don't know if I want to do that for my wife because she's not very nice or she doesn't serve me back a lot. She's not really giving her end and I feel like I'm giving all my 100% and I'm getting, getting nothing back. I mean, I'm not going to. Again, that's consumeristic marriage. It's not what we're called to live out. Now, it's awesome when a couples serve each other. It's not always that way. And if you're struggling, say, well, I'm trying to serve, but my, my spouse isn't serving me back. Again, we go back to the model. When Jesus came and died on the cross and served us more than we could ever imagine, he did not do that because we were being so nice to him. Jesus was not in heaven saying, you know, these people, they're so amazing. They're serving me all the time. Man, look at how faithful they are. I'm going to come and die for them. 
transaction, right? Consumer. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. While we were rebelling, while we were sinners, while we were not giving a rip or a care about Jesus, Jesus said, I'm going to serve you with my life, and I'm going to die for you. That's Christian. That's disciple. That is the image of marriage. That is the image of marriage. It's not what you see on TV. Biblically, this is the image of marriage, that we are willing to give ourselves, to lay our lives down for our spouse in service. John 15 says, love one another, and we could say love your spouse as Jesus has loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You know, we, we think about a lot of these verses in the context of loving each other, but you know the primary outlet of your faith should be your marriage. Above anything else in your life, the primary outlet of your faith should first be seen in marriage because that is the image. Jesus says, what is my relationship like the church like? It's like marriage. That that should be the primary uh, outlet of your faith is in your marriage. And so this is the conversation that you need to constantly have in your head with Jesus, okay? When you step back and think about what Jesus has done for you, you say, Jesus, I'm so thankful that you died for me, that you forgave all of my sin, that you washed away all of my shame, you've taken away my guilt, you have set me on a firm foundation, you have made me a son and daughter of the king, you invited me into the kingdom, this is so amazing, this is so awesome, I have a future that is unbelievable for eternity and perfection with you, this is great, Jesus, how in the world can I repay you? And you know what he says? I want you to take all that grace, love, and forgiveness and power that I have given you, I want you to first and foremost pour that out on your spouse. Before you go out of ministry, before you go out to work, before you do all these other things, I want you first and foremost to take all of that love, power, and grace, all of that thanksgiving, and pour it out on your spouse. You might say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. My spouse isn't or she isn't doing this. She's not holding. Whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus says, no, no, no. The picture. I gave my life for you when you were absolutely rebelling. I want you, out of reverence, this is what the Bible says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, you don't do this primarily even for your wife. You don't primarily do this because they've done this and then I get to do this. It says, Submit to or serve one another out of reverence for Christ. All of this is done out of reverence and thanksgiving. And, and the best way that you can say thank you to Jesus, the best way you can respond to your faith is take all that which God has put in you and to pour it out in your marriage. And if you're not married yet, then you're going to be pouring that out into perhaps your future marriage. Now, last verse and we're done. Getting late. 2 Corinthians 5 says that Jesus died for all, 
so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and raised. That we do not live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus. And he says, the first place that I want you to pour out that love and grace is your spouse. He cares so much about marriage because marriage, again, houses the image of what Jesus and his love is towards the church. And my hope is that, man, that one day we could get to a place where that people would be able to, in this community, could look at any one of our marriages and say, you know what? I think I'm understanding what your God's love for his people is about. I think I'm starting to grasp just how much Jesus loves people because I can see it in your marriage. You know what? That's what Jesus wants for your marriage. His will for your marriage is for your marriage to thrive. It's his will. And that means when you start praying into your marriage and you start living this way in your marriage and you start pursuing your husband or the wife the way God wants you to, you know, God's not going to hold back his blessing. His will is for you to be happily married and he wants you to be. And I tell you, he is more than willing to help you and to help me. Okay? Let's uh, stand as we close. Jesus, we are uh, so thankful that you have served us when we haven't deserved it. That you have loved us, God, when we were rebelling. And God, we pray that you might download more of that into our lives, that we might follow in your footsteps. God, that we would become more and more of someone who loves the way you love. That you're willing to serve. God, help us to be willing to serve. God, I pray that you might help us in our marriages to be more selfless. God, that you would catch us when we begin to start thinking about ourselves too much. God, that you would put into our minds a deeper love for our spouses, a deeper willingness to serve, a deeper desire, God, to to rejoice in what they're rejoicing in. God, we pray healing over any hurting marriage in this room right now in Jesus' name. God, we pray you would empower those marriages by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, God, that you would be the lifter of their heads, that you would give them hope because, God, this is your will for their marriage to be blessed. And I pray, God, that you would help those people to walk in it. Father, we pray protection over our marriages. God, as the evil one wants to attack us, as the evil one is whispering in our ear to make us more selfish or causing us to look at the consumeristic marriages around us, God, may we stand against that in the truth of your word. And God, may we live out our marriages as Christian marriages, passionate, loving, thriving, working through difficulties, be willing to love God during difficult times. So God, we ask for your favor on our marriages, on this church, and on our lives. And God, as we go from here today, we pray you might help us, God, to love those around us. God, you'd help us to love you. And God, to pray and to see and to hope for more transformed lives around us. In Jesus' name.